when you're working with the natural environment, there will be challenges. There's always challenges. Ensure that your heart is in whatever you set your sights on because this will turn work into love and you'll be, you will be emotionally nourished every day. And that's so important for you, your family and weaving social fabric, a soft approach, you would get the job done just as well. In fact, I think you would get it done better. Take that, take that love approach. This podcast series, Queensland Women, Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions, gives voice to the vital environment support and ecological sustainability work undertaken by inspiring women practitioners, advocates and thought leaders in this state. We hope that it offers our audience, and particularly women listeners, energising ideas and encouraging role models which can help motivate them as they develop their own contributions toward building a genuinely sustainable future in this place. To be clear, that would be a future based upon much improved levels of human and other species health and well-being, much improved levels of social fairness, and an authentic, sustainable economic prosperity which leaves no one behind. The series was produced for Hope Incorporated Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples of the surrounding region. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrates the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. Those contributions include Indigenous spiritual respect and care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. We acclaim Indigenous stewardship of the nature of Australia, undertaken over many, many thousands of years, and the model that stewardship provides us now in this place as we survey and attempt to repair some of the environmental damage created by the often misguided development approaches of only the last 200 years or so. Hello and welcome. My name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the podcast series. My guest in this podcast episode, Robin Lay, developed extensive experience as a community capacity building change agent and catalyst from the late 1990s, working with many landcare projects across the Darling Downs region of southeast Queensland and helping to administer significant amounts of the National Heritage Trust funding which helped enable them. The separate but closely linked initiatives of Landcare and the National Heritage Trust represent two of the most important developments in the history of efforts to restore degraded natural systems and enhance physical environment and ecological quality in Australia. Founding features of Landcare, a community not-for-profit organisation, was the facilitation of local groups of volunteers working to restore and enhance nature and natural systems and collaborate across sectors to achieve those environmental restoration objectives. And the Natural Heritage Trust, a federal government fund established in 1997, has often provided important financial support to enable land care initiatives as well as other environment support work. In our discussion, Robin describes some of her experiences from those heady days of upsurge of interest in support for landscape and natural system restoration, and she draws out the arc of her continued regard, interest and affection for the natural world into the quite different context of her professional work settings today. So, Robin, a warm welcome, and it's great to talk with you today. Thanks for inviting me, Andrew. 
Look, let's start the conversation, as with other guests, by asking you to go back in time for a bit of a personal history on your environmental support interests. So specifically, do you remember how your passion for the environment started? Well, it started <clears throat> when I was growing up in Mount Isa and going on jaunts into the bush with my dad as a child. Those day trips showed me the, the flora, the fauna, the birds, the waterholes, Indigenous artwork. It was mesmerising for me. And my dad just so casually established a foundation in me for loving the environment. And all other experiences have been built on that time. So, look, Robin, just staying with that idea of early childhood experience, uh, I mean, that is such an important influence uh, and a load of research has been done that shows that, you know, childhood encounters with nature early on in the piece has a very strong link to later environmentally protective attitudes and behaviours in adults. So do you want to say a bit more, because that was such a, an interesting time for you with your father out in the bush, do you want to say a bit more about that, what that personally meant to you back in the day? Well, the manner in which the environment was presented to me played a very important role in how I related to the natural world. My dad was gentle, loving, caring, and he approached the bush with those qualities. And this is what was shown to me as a child and subsequently shaped my outlook. We'll put some references in, into that. Each guest so far in this series has made some comment along those lines. Early childhood exposure to nature, either out on the farming situation or whatever, but an early mm. love instilled in them because they were out in nature taken out into nature etc etc and mm -hmm. again the psychological research linking that so I, I just has it has major implications for what children are doing now in mm -hmm. terms of perhaps too much screen time not so much in nature all that sort of stuff you know? so uh, thank you for that all right well now coming on to question two is there anyone in particular you just mentioned the, the really strong influence of your father there is there anyone in particular you remember who inspired or mentored you in your environmental protection work well there has not been one particular person but many who carried me along the journey i initially came into land care in calliope and worked there for two and a half years before taking a position with the central downs land care group for the next five and a half years as an adult and working with environmental groups, the landholders and others interested in the environment were my mentors as they encouraged and demanded conversation that made me go beyond my current thinking. And, and that deepened my relationship with the environment. It tended to um, clarify where I sat on many issues. Without, you know, uh, having a sort of mini lecture in, in Australia and Queensland geography, it might just be worth mentioning Calliope. I, I hope I got that pronunciation correct, but that's up in the sort of central Queensland area, it would be it, fair to say. Uh, it is. From the it coast. is. It is um, yeah. just uh, the inland shire from Gladstone. Yeah. Very big state, Queensland. We're going to talk in a minute about your later work down at the other end of the state, you know, in the southeast corner on the Darling Downs region, very famous agricultural sector. But just, I suppose, to sort of try and set the geographical scene of for listeners not familiar, perhaps, with the geography of Queensland as such. Let's now move on to as time's gone on, you know, because this is a story arc of your involvement with environmental protection, your affection for the environment. As you came into doing 
direct hands-on work. Just give us some idea how you did get involved with that. You've already started to mention that, you know, perhaps how you initially came in as a volunteer in Calliope and the land care movement. Just expand the picture, you know, flesh out the picture. How did you get involved? Well, it's very brief. I was living on a cattle property in the Boyne Valley, which is uh, the Boyne River is the river near Calliope. And a uh, co- coordinator's position came up with Calliope Landcare. My children had almost left home and I was looking for something to cherish and this was perfect on many levels and it was a great group to start off the Landcare journey with. As we're talking about Landcare, just let's talk about that in a little bit more depth. I mean, what, you know, you're going to talk about your specific work, but at this earlier stage in the interview, what is it that you take from Landcare, your memories about it? What, how would you sum that up in terms of its principles, its approach, you know, what it set out to achieve, what it what it does achieve? Any Anything that from that time that you were actively involved? Community togetherness, people working together to um, achieve a common goal. That is what, what I and, – and everyone I worked with was just hungry for information to improve their wherever they were their lot and that was the landholders and and people in town who were also interested um in in land care they they didn't have a uh, a plot of land per se but they wanted to get into helping with the environment and um and I'm thinking more uh in the Calliope region when I when I say this because there were many projects that um that people who were townspeople got involved with uh, revegetation programs particularly and and cleaning up weeds in some of the uh, the creeks that had invasive weeds in i'm always interested in the history of ideas of where stuff comes from you know but just to be reminded you know that it's as old the model is as old as the late 1980s it obviously gave a massive boost it was one of the first times as far as i'm aware there was a systematic governmental approach to getting this collaborative approach across this community capacity building yes is that fair to say that is absolutely yes Mm. okay as we come through this story now to more some some more specific stuff, you you often people when you talk to them, and as in this series, we've been talking to various women, you know, working in various capacities on the environmental support, and we ask them, it is always good to have some markers of you know some feedback in effect of what you're doing. I mean, are you hitting the target? Are you actually achieving what you set out to achieve? You know, and sometimes that just comes as a light bulb moment and a ha moment. Sometimes it perhaps you know is more systematic the amounts of feedback. But in your particular case, was the there a moment in time when you first realized and can you remember it what impact your work was having to protect or restore the environment there was not one particular moment you know it was a slow realization when i was working on the darling downs and seeing how the landholders responded to the offer of assistance from the natural heritage trust um you know suddenly there were funds to help them do what they needed to do and it became very obvious that there was a passion for the land and a need to maintain and protect the downs as an environmental asset for the current, then current and future generations um, as we as we go on. 
And just again, you know, to set the scene, I mean, we already mentioned the Darling Downs, but just help me out here a bit, you know, in terms of, again, not being exactly precise geographically, but this is a, a very rich agricultural area, seen to be a very highly productive and rich Australian agricultural area, black soils, volcanic soils, basalt soils, that that sort of act, I yeah. suppose, it's in a, in a, a strip just in from the escarpment, the range, uh, the, um, the Great Dividing Range coming down through the eastern side of Australia. Is that fair to say? So it's marked out by town like down the southern end, Warwick, going up as far as uh, mm -hmm. towns, what, Toowoomba, yeah. Mm -hmm. Toowoomba. Um, Toowoomba, you know, the Downs can be um, not just the Central Downs area but Western Downs as well, um, all the way out to Roma um, and beyond. But the area that I worked with um, was Cambuya, which is just south of Toowoomba and Pittsworth, Clifton and Milmarin Shires. And for those who are interested, you know, people can look up those towns. Um, we'll give another call out to some of those those towns, perhaps put them into the resource notes, thinking about it if you really want to focus on where those towns, that little towns, are. Um, mm. And so let's um, consider, you know, you've just, you know, given us the intro. That Was it the segue is the term everyone uses these days? Uh, you've given us the sort of lead into this uh, next question. Um, the actual practical work you did in land care with uh, National Heritage Trust funding in those small towns, you, you were highly active and across some quite substantial amounts of funding Working with these communities, as you said before, you know, that idea of land care uh, facilitating communities. Can you tell us a bit more about that, the practical work on the ground, um, the scale of the, the funding at the time, which was, uh, we're talking about the 19, late 1990s, if I understand it correctly. I believe it started in the late 1990s and went through at least um, till uh, two, 2000 and beyond 2005. That I know of. Okay. I lost touch there, but yeah, sorry. So, give us some rough idea, you know, of of what you were doing in that very formative period when you were working in land care with those groups. Give us some, perhaps, idea of what how your your day was spent or your your weeks or months were spent. Well, I'm relying on memory, uh, and this is for the Central Downs area only. But I think that over the five and a half years we. Um, managed to get 32 um, projects on the ground with roughly 8 million being put into the works and that that is a mix of um, 3 million from natural heritage trust funds and 5 million from landholder input so the commitment from the landholders was significant it was excellent and the greatest satisfaction here was witnessing the inspiration and harmony that came from facilitating individuals and groups to work together to achieve benefits across their subcatchments. And I think everyone grew out of these experiences. And is it fair to say, you know, again, as a layperson with very little knowledge about land care um, on the ground, but it, it, that money does grease the wheels of a lot of good good projects. The communities themselves were also putting in funding. That they were putting it, It's not just uh, the requirement was um, to put in dollar for dollar. Right. But the groups that I worked with preferred to to um, put in more than that so that they could get more out of it. You know, the more they put in themselves, the better result they were going to get. So that's how we approached it. 
So there was a measure of their commitment, not only with the sweat equity, with the old-fashioned term, they were actually putting their hands and effort and work and muscles into the actual work on the ground. They were also helping fund that. So, you know, it is, it is a fantastic model of collaborative um, community work to Absolutely. improve, enhance the natural world, you know, whether it be for agricultural purposes or other purposes, you know, in, in towns, in cities, on the coast. Um, fantastic. That's right. I mean, it, none of it would have happened without the the inspiration and input of and the keenness of the landholders to be part of it and to to build up the the asset not just for themselves but for the future yeah again i just think you know extending this out we've come across it's another example also of holism you know interconnection um in this case the Mm. interconnection of the the community the rural communities their economies with the health of the natural world trying to enhance that uh, the individuals, you know, it, within that those situations as well, the social, the economic, the environmental, closely connected. And I know, you know, we're going to refer to this again, this idea of interconnection, holism across the environmental, social and economic, because it's a theme that's come out already in the bulk of the interviews that I've been conducting for this series, because it's a, a key environmental protection concept. And I know it has particular relevance in your case, because as we come through your story arc towards the end, you know, you're you're contemplating the idea of of taking in going into a field of counselling called holistic counselling. So it might it'll be interesting to hear about that theme a bit further down the track. As we now move through that story of your important environmental support work across the Darling Downs region in those small towns, as with all change agents, managers, coordinators, catalysts. It can't all have been plain sailing. Um, there are always obstacles in the way. And so inevitably, how you know, the question comes, how did you overcome those obstacles? What were the challenges you faced in your particular past environmental support career? And how did you overcome them? Because I think people are often interested in that part of the story. You know, well, how did you apply the grit and determination yeah. to keep going? Where do we begin? Yes, where do we come from? The uh, the first challenge in the position of coordinator was uh, I was a very, very shy person and I had to become comfortable speaking to small and large groups. That was um, very daunting in the early days, but the approach was to be very well prepared as far as possible for the meeting or the workshop or the excursion day in the field, whatever it was on that day. And uh, the early days did mean much anxiety, but as time went on um, and with the wonderful people I worked with, it became comfortable. Even this sort of uh, process that we're doing here can can be stressful to some people. No. But but on the other hand, if it gets your voice out to a wider audience, you know, some people have that the gift of the gab and that confidence. But um, but the great thing is, you know, we can learn how to be better at it. And clearly, you must have learned. Uh, you must have you know acquired considerable skills because you were out there on the circuit back in the day, weren't you, doing the round? Yes, I was. I, I would have to say that I think uh, the landholders and the people. That came to the land care groups were very kind and supportive yes okay robin now we're moving through this interview we're getting to this point now about i suppose more about the personal qualities the personal resources that the guest draws upon to do the great work that they do you know that idea of the use of yourself as a personal resource you know your combination of skills personality demeanor your presentation all, all of use in pursuing your goals and, and also what you draw from your work 
what sustains those resources and qualities, what allows you to keep doing what you do. I think people are often very interested in the personal story of, well, frankly, anyone, but certainly change agents, catalysts. Okay, well, what's the formula? What, what do they do? How do they do it? <laughs> so the question in your case is, um, in your particular case, how do you feel that past work that you've just described, fantastic work, uh, achieved a great deal on the land, how do you feel it influenced your well-being, motivation and determination to keep doing what you were doing? Andrew, I have no doubt that my work with Landcare has been the most rewarding of my life to date. Um, the goodness and happiness that comes to everyone from doing this work cannot be understated. It simply is not work, but a labour of love. And yes, that's a secret. That's how you have to approach it. You you have to be heart centred in in your approach to this work. Now, I'm really interested in 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 you know sort of unpacking that, as they say, a bit more. But that whole heart vocational for the love of type of theme. Uh, this whole idea mm -hmm. about work the quality of work you never hear much mm -hmm. about in the debates the mac the so-called macroeconomic debates about the quality of work it's all about the amount how many jobs were created yes. yeah but what sort of jobs what sort of work mm -hmm. and i think you're pointing mm -hmm. indirectly here to the, that aspect of the quality of work what do we get out of it what's the point of it absolutely Yes, and, you know, the quality of work, what, what do we get out of it? But what do I get out of it? But what do the, the, the people that I work with get out of it? And that's the most important thing. How, how do they grow through the process? Um, and I, I think um, we all have to consider how we approach our work to facilitate that kind of an outcome. There are debates going on all over the place, including in Australia, but internationally, about the quality of work. There is this wider conversation. The politicians are very happy to tell us that they want an economy that works for people and not the other way around. But I mean, you know, where, where's the evidence of that? But anyway, going down the path of work and, and its many joys and travails, uh, let's now talk about your current work. Let's come up as we come towards the end of this interview, your current work. What are you working on now? What excites you about that? What are you looking forward to in the world of work? Well, my current exciting project is helping people in a different way. Um, I've chosen to work as a bookkeeper and BAS agent to support a small number of local businesses um, to help achieve their goals by being a listener and caring for their business health and offering that level of expertise that is needed. And I have also begun a foray into holistic counselling, still in the exploratory stage. But however, as I move into my third age, it has become abundantly clear that empathy and compassion are the cornerstones of a worthwhile ex existence. Everything else can grow from this. And I really believe, um, you know, referring to your um, conversation previously, that, that that should be the basis of a whole nation going forward. So there's the H word again, uh, uh, Robin, <laughs> the hol holism. And because this is such an important element of the conversation, holism, everything being connected to everything else, and, and not just as an idea, as a nice idea, but trying to incorporate that into actual decision-making, whether that be at the political, uh, economic, or any other sort of level, so that we get a much more genuine balance of the environmental, economic and social considerations of what makes life worthwhile. Given the importance of that, do you want to say a bit more about your understanding, just as a, a matter of interest, as, you, as that field that you may be going into, holistic counselling? What, what do you think is the key concepts of that? I mean, so far as you, you know, you're, you're viewing it as you set up the stall, as it were. 
Okay. Um, well, holistic counselling differs from conventional counselling in that it is uh, it focuses on um, inspiring clients to become empowered to change their situation to find that pathway from where they are to where they want to be and and it is it's self-directed it is not something that is um you know a top-down approach where the the counselor would say well this is what's wrong with you and this is how to fix it my approach um uh inside holism is that where are you now? Where do you want to be? And we're going to work out how we, you're going to get there. And and I honestly believe that that is a worthwhile approach for the environment as well. Let's work together because you know more about yourself and in your total context than I do, frankly, you know, that sort of thing. With, with... Yes. Yeah. Yes, totally. I don't want to um, minimise the importance of uh, clinical assistance because in crisis situations that is the first port of call for for anyone um, wanting to make a change but holistic counseling as a support and ongoing um, pathway for them is really important again i just uh, riffing off your ideas the so-called love ethic i mean a number of guests i interviewed for other podcast series who are social workers or counselors starting to talk about this idea of a love mm. ethic you know a framework which puts some of this stuff together but it's essentially at base about bringing compassion care respect to relationships and again be they you know social relationships be they environmental relationships be they frankly economic relationships this is a stereotype i'd be interested to hear your comment about this it's said that women are particularly good at that i mean I, you know i'm i'm going to stay neutral near do you think that's true or are those qualities equally distributed are they available to both men and women or what's your what's your sense of that I believe they're uh, available to both men and women, but the social conditioning for men to be the hunter-gatherer and the woman to be the nurturer at home tends to um, preclude the abundance of that, that love ethic from men. They tend to think they need to be that hard, blind um, person, take that kind of approach to get the job done. Where in actual fact, if you employed the, you know, the soft approach, you would get the job done just as well. In fact, I think you would get it done better. Take that, take that love approach. And I think, you know, that that um, summary there is, has been well attested to in this podcast series so far, because I've been hearing about those very, what we might term the soft skills. My guests appears to be the case. They use those, they have used those soft skills and they are using them to very great effect in achieving environmental mm. protection change, be that compassion, caring, collaborative approaches. It seems to be a very good fit for women's approach to that type of work, problem solving, decision making. So just around this little segment off, I, I just hope personally that holism, you know, just continues to make advances as an idea, as an organizing concept in society, whether that be in the helping professions, whether that be in the, the regenerative agriculture space, and whether that be in any other area of society, we need more joined up, integrated decision making across the board. So, you know, uh, all great progress yes. and, and yes. congratulations that new new field that you, you're about to enter into or may enter into, Robin. Thank you. Now, as we come up to the end, very end of this uh, interview, Robin, you, um, as as with each guest, 
I asked them, uh, however they want to run it, give us a short summary or a brief uh, comment that sort of sums up in some shape or form, as far as they're, they're concerned, what they've been talking about today so that the actual audience can take that away. And the second thing, a part of that is, what do you have any specific advice, particularly for women? I mean, this is a generic audience, no doubt, listening to this, but it was, you know, couched in terms of and funded mm -hmm. uh, to empower women's voices, specifically. So specifically for women, do you have any advice to women listeners, um, particularly about what how they might approach stepping up into some sort of environmental protection role, you know, syst uh, natural system restoration, regeneration, wildlife conservation, whatever it might be. Do you have any advice to that? So uh, firstly, bring uh, respect and consideration into all of your dealings with the environment because it is essentially the people that you're dealing with as a coordinator or facilitator. Obviously, uh, nature is the biggest player, but then man and womankind seek to exist within that framework provided and when you're working with the natural environment, there will be challenges. There's always challenges. Ensure that your heart is in whatever you set your sights on because this will turn work into love and you'll be, you will be emotionally nourished every day. And that's so important for you, your family and weaving social fabric. Can't emphasise that enough. Fantastic way to round off this discussion and interview, Robin. Um, some nice, uplifting messages there at the end of the interview. Robin, this is now the end of this great interview. It has been a real pleasure to talk with you today. I'm sure you've given our audience some great ideas which can help inform their own thinking about their possible next steps toward building a genuine, ecologically sustainable, and by the sound of it, compassionate, caring, and collaborative future in this place. And for instance, through starting their own conversations on the environmental topics and uh, environmental processes we've mentioned with their friends, families, colleagues within employing organisations or in their professional associations. But for now, Robin, on behalf of my podcast support organisation, Householders Options to Protect the Environment, it just remains for me to thank you so warmly for our conversation today. Thank you for the opportunity to share, Andrew. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Queensland Women, Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions. The series was produced for Householders Options to Protect the Environment Incorporated as part of the Queensland Women's Week 2023 event and it aligns with the objectives of the Queensland Women's Strategy 2022-2027. Hope thanks the Queensland Department of Justice and Attorney General's Office for Women and Violence Prevention for the generous funding support which made this podcast project possible. Please consult the episode text notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.